Hello and welcome back to Yoga After Dark, the podcast that has no intro because your illustrious podcast leader is too lazy to create an intro. So today I have Rich Ray on the line and Rich is a Mysore teacher and a meditation teacher up in Portland, Maine. So this is, yes, the second person we have from Maine on the podcast. Actually the third, because I am from Maine. And so I being the original podcast person, you know? So the third person we have from Maine and he is the partner of Kate O'Donnell who was our last episode, the Ayurvedica and also uh, Ashtanga teacher from Maine. Welcome, Rich. Thank you for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure. So we are having our first snow today here in New York City, ah. which uh, everyone in New York City seems to think is an emblem of um, beauty and uh, joy. And I always think being a more sensible person that it's just an emblem of impending doom. Uh, and I know you've already had snow in Maine because my father sent me a picture the other day. So yeah. how, how's the weather up there? Uh, it's a little nippy. It's a little nippy. You know, it's been dropping. So it was really nice for a while, early December. Well, I guess for, you know, late November, it was pretty sunny and nice, but it's starting to get cold. You know, it's like, we're, I feel like we've turned that corner where we're not going to see those nice days again. It's just going to be cold and gray and dark. It just feels dark. That's right. The way life should be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> makes it interesting for for those listeners who aren't aware when you drive into the state of maine on the highway there's a large sign and it says maine the way life should be and that's that's our generic motto and uh and my uncle you know when i was younger always said i just want to just want to take some duct tape to that sign and underneath the way life should be right the last two weeks of August through Labor Day. <laughs> it's so true. It's like <laughs> the population doubles here in the summer, you know? It quadruples. <laughs> it quadruples, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All the money comes in in the summer, and then it's just this kind of other place in the winter. But, you know, with the with the pandemic on now um it seems that a lot of people uh who you know go to maine for a week or two weeks or a month um this year decided to go up for a month or three months or just stay indefinitely yeah has that has that affected yeah. you at all or have you noticed that at all we noticed it for sure uh you know this summer we go out on, on around town and it was like every other license plate was a New York license plate. There's a <laughs> lot of Massachusetts, but New York, there was a ton. And uh, we went out last, yesterday was my birthday. And we went oh, out for a, for a little quick bite at this place. And there we overheard this realtor a couple tables over. And he was like, it is hopping up here. Like they're just, if people are moving up here in the droves, you know, it's just, it's nice. It's a great place to live. I love it. You know, if you can get handled the weather in the winter, it's just, it's just a great place. The people are super nice. It's just laid back and, and, uh, you know, I can see why that's why we moved up from Boston. Yeah. You now it's just like, it's affordable. It's just, it's not like, uh, you know, sometimes the big city can just feel a little like, like you're swimming upstream all the time, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. I, mean, I am wondering how many people you will find in snowbanks come spring. <laughs> I think, I think that people in New York, you know, think they know what's there is ahead of them and they, they have no idea. Yeah. You know, they've watched Game of Thrones. They know about the Night King, but they, they have no idea what's actually in the store. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The winter, like it's nice, and then it starts. It's this. It's like late February, March. It drags on. That's to me the hardest part. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> so, will you tell me and and the listeners out there um, a little bit about your history as both an Ashtanga person yeah. and a it's Zen meditation you practice? Is that correct? That's correct? Yeah, yeah. Can you give yeah. us kind of like 
an overview of Rich's life with Ashtanga and Zen. Yeah, yeah. They started around the same time. You know, I, I, I went to university and I got, I was studying art history, like, uh, like Eastern art. I really got into that. And I had a professor who was just really a good storyteller and could just bring out all the, because it's very religious, that art, you know, it's all iconography of different religions. And I really got into it. And that kind of set me on this path of being interested in yoga and, um, meditation. And, um, so I got into my doing my sore practice in 1995 in Seattle with David Greig and his wife at the time, I was like his very first student when they got back and put a plaque out saying that they were open for business. And at the same time, I was got involved with this Zen group down in California under a teacher named Sherry Huber. Mm -hmm. She's an American woman who studied under, um, she practiced under this guy, Jay Dupont Roshi, who practiced under one of the first Japanese guys in LA. I forget, it might've been Senzaki Roshi or something. So she came from this very kind of strict lineage, but under the radar, like you really, she didn't put herself out there at all. Um, so I started doing both of them right around the same time. I would fly down to California maybe once a year and do a retreat with those folks. All the while I was waking up early to go pour coffee. And before I would go in, I would do maestro practice with David and Katrine. <laughs> and, uh, and I finally, after a couple of years doing maestro practice regularly, and I mean, I was, I was probably 25 at the time and very stiff. I went to Mysore in the Lakshmi Puram. Oh, uh, the old Shala. The, well, old, the old, old Shala, yeah. Old Shala, because of course Shala has <laughs> the airplane hangar, which yeah. I have not been to. I haven't made it there since he opened that. So yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Who knows if we'll ever go back? Hopefully, we will. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I just it it. It broke me, you know, like I wasn't really ready for that. And I got really kind of beat up and um, came back and kind of muddled through. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do, what the next step in my life was. It was like Saturn return years, like 27. And I ended up staying at this Zen monastery for a year. And it turned one year turned into four years. So I ended up living at this in a monastic environment in silence for four years and just totally gave up the Mysore practice. It was just not feasible to be doing that and be doing living this life down there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you got back onto the Ashtanga train. Well, then I came out and, and when I left there, it was around 2004. I was not, I, I was not, I had nothing to my name. You know, I made my way back to New Hampshire and just shacked up, you know, at my parents' place. They put me up while I got a job and tried to make some money. And I started doing Kripalu yoga. I did some Bikram yoga, whatever was nearby. You know, there was no Mysore teacher, but I was a little, I was a little incredulous about the Ashtanga practice at that point. I was like, ah, you know, like it, I, it, and looking back on it, it, it wasn't the practice. It was me and, and what I brought to it. I brought this hyper-competitive, very kind of out of balance attitude. And, um, well, and you were a man in your early twenties, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wanted my body to do things that it couldn't do. And so I was frustrated and I would push it and I was constantly getting injured, you know? So, uh, and when we, and we did yoga at the monastery, we had a yoga teacher come in, but it was like Feldenkrais stuff. Oh, okay. You know, it was the somatic method from, uh, as taught by Thomas Hanna, who was a student of Feldenkrais. So it was very like super, attentive to small movements and and how that relates to the central axis and the breath and the nervous system and that that was super helpful for me because I, I had no ability to go there on my own 
And so the Zen practice and that Feldenkrais method really brought it inside for me. So when I left, I was like, I don't know if I could go back to doing my again or Ashtanga. And I started to kind of just start do some movement, did some yoga and other traditions. And eventually I kind of came back to it. And it was a whole new world for me. And I, I loved it. Oh, nice. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. Thank you for that. So uh, tell me, out of the two, out of Ashtanga and uh, this Zen practice you do, which one is more culty? Culty? It's a good question. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Boy, that's a tough one. They're both pretty culty. Okay. I don't know. I, they both are culty in their own way. The Zen one, I would say, it was culty. And once you're out of it, I guess in either of them, once you're out of it and you talk to people who are kind of out of it, outside of it, then you look at, look at it and you go, wow, that was really culty. Yeah. <laughs> you know? With the Zen one, you're more people, you're in the Buddhist tradition, you're, you are directed to take responsibility for your experience. Mm-hmm. Like that's the whole name of the game. So there's that is there. So it's harder to get into an agreement consensus with, with people about like, God, yeah, you know, like that's a real culty thing. And everyone goes, yeah, 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 it's them, it's them. Mm-hmm. In Zen, you're like, how, how am I responsible for that? Mm. Whereas in Ashtanga, I feel like, you know, there's not that, it, it's a little harder for people to kind of get that. It's a little more like the outer circumstances are the cause. But not everybody, you know, I'm not saying everybody for sure. There's t- plenty of Ashtanga people that take responsibility. I don't, it's just a generalization. I think as, um, <clears throat> at least for me, I think as I get older, I, I realize that more of it is my responsibility than mm. outside parameters. Yeah. I think it's something that takes time for, for most people. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's it, very hard. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I was 29 when I went into that monastery and, um, you know, I, it was, it was a very difficult for you. It, you know, it was supposed to be difficult. It's not supposed to be an easy ride. You know, your teacher is supposed to just kind of shove your face in your egocentric clinging and neediness and and, you know, wanting things to be comfortable for you, you know, and, and so it's hard. It's hard to take responsibility for, 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 you know, your life and your choices and all that, you know, I'm not saying it's, it's easy and it does, it, it helps with age. You know, I turned 50 yesterday and mm-hmm. I just, you know, the perspective so much bigger. I look at when I was that young, it's just like, God, I was just total nut. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that about myself currently, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so if, uh, you know, you're in a, you're in a, we're in a monastery style setting. So, you know, similar to an ashram style setting, which, um, you know, we don't, when we go to, I think there, there is a bit of a misconception with people who haven't been to Mysore sometimes that we go there and we live in some sort of ashram and like all like do everything together. I mean, we do do everything together because we're weird Westerners in India, you know, we go out to eat, but, um, but you know, that there's some sort of like commune that we all belong to and we practice yoga for eight or 10 hours a day and do all stuff, which is certainly the furthest from the case that is, that is actually happening. You know, you just go to your practice in the morning and maybe there's some sort of compulsory chanting class you have to go to, but that's about it. Um, so when you're, when you're looking at a monastery style thing or an ashram style thing where you're there constantly all the time and you, you do sign up with the expectation that, that the teacher is going to, is going to be a hard ass. Like that's just how it's going to be. How do you take that experience and then plop it onto your current teaching where you are seeing people 
you know, some of them are very dedicated. Some of them aren't as dedicated. They all have families and jobs and lives to attend to outside of the practice. How, how do you bring the experience of one over to the other? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, well, a number of things. One is it, it's difficult. The experience is difficult for your ego, right? It's like the whole point is is to see how you you cling to controlling outer circumstances, right? And the sooner you can just drop that and and just get in. At the monastery, you're on this really strict schedule. There's essentially no time for anything you want to do. Right? <laughs> can you imagine, like, handing that over? I mean, you yeah. know, as Westerners, we are so, like, we're in charge of our lives. So this was, you know, that's, you know, people look at that and they go, what are you, that is like a total cult. But actually, it's designed to, for you to get over that whole process of controlling life, right? And once you see that, you, see, you have this great heart opening, kind of a compassionate outreach to people who are caught in that, right? Like we're all just trying to make life happen and, 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 what we did at the monastery, our training, once you kind of have the basic training of just getting in the rhythm of the lifestyle, then you were, you were put in places of facilitating workshops, right? So we're constantly facilitating people who are out in the world coming in and trying to see their own egocentric conditioning. And, and when you work with people in that way, then you really get to see the difference between what it's like to live from a, a centered place as opposed to a place that's you're always in conflict with life, you know? So once I got out, I had worked with enough people and facilitated enough workshops and retreats that I felt like I could, I, I can, I can see people where they are, you know, I can kind of get a sense of where they are, what, you know, what they, what, what's going to work for them. So I'm not trying, I never try to put a should on it. I never try to say, you know, this is the right thing to do. You know, it's, I just, I offer what I teach and, and people come to it. And if it resonates, then they move forward. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's like, there's no, you know, this is the right way to go or, you know, you're, you're living some, you know, egocentric life and that's wrong or bad, you know, it's just, Hey, like this, this has been helpful. And if you're, if this something that you get benefit from, then there's, this is a, a road to go down. Does that make sense? That, yeah, that makes total, yeah. That makes total sense. It's the, you know, this, this idea, which, uh, I'm sure didn't start with Krishnamacharya, but Krishnamacharya was a huge proponent of teaching what you know, you know, as it applies to the student, not, yeah. not as, as it applies to you, the, the teacher or the knower, if you will, but actually looking at the person in front of you and saying, yeah. well, this is what this person requires, not what I require. Yeah. Getting out of your own way, you know, in order yeah. to do some teaching. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's interesting. It's like with Mysore, or a lot of, you know, yoga schools where there's like a, there's a, there's a, especially with Ashtanga, where there's this set system and, you know, people get into this, this conflict with it of, I have to push, put myself through this system, you know, and they kind of like, I, like I was doing when I was younger, like I need to make myself go through this specific system and it's like i need to like change myself in order to make it work mm -hmm. or i have to just say fuck it i can't do it right whereas like a good teacher will say they'll look at the person in front of them and say here's a way to do this you know here's a way to modify this until this opens up more and then it will look that way you know 
So I, I take heart with, with the Ashtanga in Mysore practice, you know, and just having worked with some great teachers that come to it with that kind of place you're talking about, like just dealing with the person in front of them, you know, and what they need within that context of the practice. And, and by contrast, also being able to see when someone will be able to do something with a, a bit of work and letting them stay there and do that work for that time, if, yeah. if that is going to be a possibility for them. You know? yeah. So not modifying everything just cause, but for a, for a legitimate reason. Yeah. I've, I've, I've said for a long time that there are, uh, the only rule in Ashtanga is that all the rules can be changed if you have a legitimate reason. Yeah, there you go. That's great. That's, that sums it up. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, that, that aspect of teaching where you're like, you're holding the person to the fire. Like you see that it's possible and they don't, you know, and you're like, stay there and do it. Like you can do it. It's a, that's a great place. Yeah. The yeah. support mechanism is fulfilling. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So when did, uh, when did you uh, make the full transition up to Maine? Cause I know for a while you were, you were commuting between Maine and Boston, weren't yeah. you? In both places. Yes. Yeah. We moved up here in 2018, the summer of 2018. And we had been living in Boston. We had a program there. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, we transitioned it over to our kind of lead assistant. And I was going down once a week for a couple of days, like an overnight. I teach a morning, stay the night, teach the next morning, and I come back up. But once COVID hit, that was it. I've been up here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Full transition up here. Yeah. I still teach one morning a week in Boston online only. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And so you, but you did make that transition to Maine. You had, you had a physical space and physical yeah. in front of you before yeah. the pandemic happened. Yeah. 2018, we bought a house and moved up here. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. Yeah. In Portland. And uh, for those of you listening, it's uh, Ashtanga Portland. M-E dot com. M-E is the abbreviation for the state of Maine. So Ashtanga Portland Me dot com. If you want to go find it, if anybody's listening from up there. Or actually it's online, so you can do it from anywhere. So go ahead, go find it. Go find Rich. Um, so what, what is the difference, you know, in teaching? You were teaching in, well, you, you called it the big city. And, and when mm -hmm. I was a, a teenager, I would have called it the big city too. But now I live in the actual big city. Um, and so I view Boston as kind of this quaint town, um, <laughs> but you know, certainly Portland, you know, the, the city itself is what, like 66,000 people. And it's the largest city in the state of Maine. And then, you know, there's all of New Hampshire after Maine, and then you get to Massachusetts where you have Boston. So for where you are, Boston is the big city. Yeah. And now you're in a, a, a quaint, yeah town yeah. what what is the difference in in the two and and you know business wise and mm -hmm. people wise and practice wise and all yeah of well we we love it here that's why we moved out we just thought it was we my sister lives up here she mm -hmm. went to college in Bowdoin started a family here and has been up here for years so I would come up all the time and once Kate and I got together we both would come up and visit and we just always loved it up here. And we thought, you know, this would be a fun place to move. And, you know, and then it, things really started to take off. Like people kind of caught on to how fun Portland is and, you know, property, property was getting more expensive. It's, so it's 2018, we were like, we need to make a move now or it's going to get outside of our Oh, yeah. our, our zone of being affordable. And Boston was just never affordable. We thought maybe we could get something, but it was like, you know, like it's like New York kind of, not probably as bad, but it's similar. Like it's just stupid expensive and you get nothing for your money. Yeah. So we were like, all right, let's do it. 
So we moved up and it's been great. We love it. You know, it's, it's definitely Boston. Boston is an interesting place. It has, it, it, it has, it's run by there's the whole hospital system is huge. You've got the university system there, these high level places that people come from all over the world. And then you've got the pharmaceutical industry. They're, they're like these, just these massive entities that bring people from all over. So I felt like our, our Mysore program there, had a, we had a lot of grad students, PhD students, a lot of people who are doctors, nurses, people who are pretty like driven, you know, they're like a type, they like to do the work, you know, they get up early and, and then in Maine, it's, it, there's none of that. There's a tiny little school up here, University of Southern Maine, you know, most of it's small businesses and people just raising families, you know, so it's, it's, it's a lot harder to, um, get like a, a, get a, like a big group. I knew it would be small, you know, so it, it's small, but it's, it's nice. It's just like, it feels more uh, like rootsy, you know, mm. which I love, you know, it has this, this, this rootsy feel, you know, it's just like people come and, you know, everybody's just doing their thing. They're raising a family or running a business and, and just living their life here. Whereas Boston, it felt like everyone's kind of passing through. They're going, they've got a job for a few years. They're getting a degree, you know, so, you know, our, our student base kind of would every three or four years would be a whole new crew. Whereas up here, it feels like people are, you know, they're, they're here for the long haul. It just feels like more of a family up here. Great. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, when things cool down, I will be able to actually get up when you have a in-person class again and yeah. class with you. That would be wonderful. You know, I try to visit my family at least twice a year. So I'm nice. in the neighborhood. Um, so if, you know, I, I uh, you know, answer the question for people all the time, how do I start a yoga practice? How do I start an Ashtanga mm -hmm. practice? Um, and so that's old hat for me and relatively dull, but um, I am particularly clueless um, when it comes to uh, meditation in general, and and, and certainly uh, Zen meditation. I'm I'm a I'm a TMer. You know, I'm a transcendental meditation person. I learned from Narasimhan over in in Mysore. So that's what I do. But yeah. you know, yeah. um, he's he's real old school and was a disciple of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And so when I learned from him, I I actually signed a piece of paper that said I'm not allowed to teach anyone unless I have permission from. Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, who, as we know, is dead. So that's going to be difficult for me. So I don't, <laughs> so I don't engage in the, the quote unquote teaching of meditation. Yeah. So how, you know, how do you, how do you go about that? How do you go about like starting a meditation or, or finding the right one for you or whatever? <laughs> that's a big one. It really is. I mean, you know, what was it? I forget. There's a famous quote in the Zen world of like, you know, 5% of people are drawn to meditation because they're, they're smart, you know, they're intelligent and they see the benefits and, and the road that it goes down. The other 95% come to it because they're miserable and suffering. <laughs> you know? and that was certainly the case for me. That's why I kind of got into it. I just was, I just, life wasn't really working out. I didn't feel like, you know, I, I kind of had my place on the planet and, and it just, I, I was looking for some answer, you know? So for some reason I was drawn to meditation. Some people, they go to therapy. Some people do ayahuasca, you know, whatever it is, we all kind of find our, our path. For me, it was something about Zen meditation in the way that my teacher presented it just resonated with me. You know, I like, I found some book at some weird little uh, hippie health food store and, you know, she self-published her book. So it looked like this little brown paper bag of a book you know, but what was inside was just blew my, blew me away. You know, I was just like, wow, 
And I just started down that road. So when people come to me looking for meditation, I, I definitely, you know, tell them that there's a whole world out there of different methods and schools and to definitely get your feet wet and, and see what like hits you, you know? Yeah. Go out there and do a little digging yourself, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if people are coming to me, I'm assuming they're, they've, they've probably have some idea of what I do and what's offered. And, you know, usually they, they are, they stick with it, you know, but if I do like a, sometimes I'll, I'll do like a workshop at a yoga teacher training. They have me come in, you know, and I, and I teach what I know. So I'll teach them meditation as is taught through kind of the Zen way that we did it. But I, I certainly say that there's a, there's a lot of different styles out there. You know, don't think that this is the only way, you know, I always, I always feel slightly bad for the, uh, the trainees in a teacher training uh, when the teacher training elects to invite someone from a lineage to teach the students some, something, you know, if, like, if I'm hired by a teacher training to come and teach the students about Ashtanga, or if there's an Iyengar teacher, God mm -hmm. forbid, that's hired to teach the students about Iyengar, or, you know, you, know, you uh, trying to teach them about Zen meditation, I feel like it's like hitting them over the head with a sledgehammer because they're used to, uh, you know, it's, it's a teacher training. They're getting something a, a bit more cosmopolitan as, mm -hmm. as, as far as styles and things that you can yeah. do. And then you get someone from a lineage coming in. It's just like, you shall do it this way. <laughs> and I only have four hours to tell you how you shall do it this way. Right. Yeah. And all these other ways are, you know, less than. Yeah. Cause I don't have the time to tell you that they're okay. Like, right. I only have time to tell you about what I, what yeah. I. Have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. So um, how are you, how are you finding um, teaching online? Well, it's interesting, you know, I, I when it fir we first started it, I was really kind of incredulous. I was like, how is this going to work? How is teaching my sort going to work? And who's really going to stick with it? And people, you know, people just kind of rallied at first. It was just like, okay, you know, let's just keep this going. And you know, show up, you, you, you open the computer for a lot of people. It's just, they feel a sense of community. You know, they, they're just not in their room alone, which yeah. can be really hard. So they've got that, that that's there. There's a few squares, bunch of squares, teachers there. And for as many, it was so interesting for as many people that, um, that said, not for me, I just, I don't want to do it. There are a number of people saw this is the opportunity for me to get involved. I don't have to go in that scary room. I don't have to, you know, <laughs> where everybody knows what they're doing but me and some person walking around. You know, it was like a, a number of people who had been just too freaked out saw, this is great. Like I can open the computer, I'm at home, I'm, you know, I'm safe. And when it's over, I can just close it. And so it, that to me was just really interesting. And you've done something, I, I peered at your schedule, and, mm -hmm. and you've done something which I think is quite smart. First of all, you offer lead class, which, you know, I do too, which I think is a very smart thing to do at this juncture. Yeah. And then also one of the, one of your mornings, uh, the Mysore class starts with lead, Surya Namaskara, lead sun salutations, and then the standing asanas as well. Yeah. So you kind of get everybody going together and if you have someone who's a beginner and you know needs that extra instruction they yeah. can they can have that from you yeah. at least at least two days a week yeah yeah Which is really great um what is uh you have something else on there it's uh what is 
asana action. There's something <laughs> at 7.30 on sitting <laughs> dinner called asana. Yeah, you know, I, I, I got to take that down. I stopped doing it. But well, I was, what was it? I'm so curious. <laughs> yeah, I was teaching. It just didn't translate. It just didn't. I felt like it wasn't working because it's just because of the because of the Zoom thing, you know, like I couldn't see what people are doing. I'm trying to like tell people what to do and I can't tell if they're getting it. And I just felt like I'm going to confuse people more than anything. So, but what I was doing was trying to just like teach uh, like how to find your, like the inner line of your legs in a back bend, mm. you know, like just doing some basic bridge poses, how to, how to like know how to create space in your lower back, get on the inner line of the legs. So you're not clenching your butt and everything's going out. The knees are just going out. So just like breaking down some real basic actions that kind of translate to different poses throughout the whole um, series. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. And then, you offer an afternoon meditation, yeah? A meditation mindfulness session. And and at the end of that, it says 15 minutes with an exclamation point, on it, which I believe means that it's very exciting that it's only 15 minutes. So that's the draw, that's the thing. It's like, it's like, like you can make it, you can do it. You can get 15 minutes. I'm not saying it's an hour because nobody would come. It's 15 right. minutes. Like chances are good that you can carve out 15 minutes. Like that's, that should be pretty exciting. Like there's no reason to say, I can't do it. It's too long. You know, it's just, it's like, it's 15 minutes. You know, you can, you can figure it out. Get yeah. in there and try it. Yeah. So what I've done now is I, I, it's 15 minutes. And when people are, if they, if that's all they can do, then they can chime, they can leave the meeting. But if, uh, and I keep going for a half an hour. So if people want to stay for the whole half an hour, they can. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's a bit of a bait and switch type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's 15 minutes. Oh, well, well, this week we just happened to extend it 100% more time. <laughs> Rope them right in. <laughs> that's great. I mean, that's that's honestly how the Ashtanga system works. Like you you mm -hmm. walk into the Mysore room and you come to the teacher and they're like, okay, today we're gonna learn Surya Namaskar and maybe some standing asanas, and then you'll sit down and half an hour to 45 minutes later, you're out of that room and you feel good about yourself. And then that continues for a week, and then second week rolls around and all of a sudden you hate your life, you know? <laughs> but but by that time you're You've you've met a couple people and you have friends in the in the room and so then you can't leave. Yeah, Maybe yeah you're in. Gotta <laughs> 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 do it. <laughs> so on that note, Rich, um, I, I have a couple uh, kind of like uh, wrapping up questions for sure, you. Sure. Yeah. So uh, first question. Um, what do you think is most lacking currently? And it doesn't have to be um, pandemic oriented, you know, mm -hmm. take this as currently the last five or 10 years if you want. Mm -hmm. um, but what do you think is most lacking about our yoga world in general mm -hmm. at this juncture? Mm. That's a good question. What is most lacking? Huh. I, I, you know, what kind of just arises for me is it's something about the, something about the business model of it. And the, 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 you know, like the, just like the pumping out of these teacher trainings, you know, something about that to me seems off a bit that the only way like a studio can remain solvent is to run these teacher trainings two, three, four times a year. And um, I don't know, just something about that seems 
like it, it like it's too it's too superficial in some way you know mm-hmm. and to really and, and, i mean you know the way i see that working now is you know studio studios do that you know and then it filters out all these people and then there's just there'll be a few people that stick around and they go deeper and they make a deeper connection with the teacher and then and those people kind of get on what i would consider more of a path with it where it's like they're really integrating it into their life you know as opposed to just it just it seems like it's being sold in some way as a as a more external thing yeah yeah i i think i've um i think i've said this in in a previous episode at some point and i don't remember with who or maybe mm. maybe many times because i think i say it a lot in my life mm. but uh but i i i think part of it is a is simply a problem with nomenclature honestly i don't mm. understand why we need to refer to things as teacher trainings i mean i think i understand in the bigger concept of what's at work why we have ended up referring to them mm-hmm. as teacher trainings but that's a conversation for another time mm-hmm. um but uh, i just don't like there's no reason for it like teacher training could be something different ie you know actually learning how to be a teacher which would take longer than 200 hours right. and then you could have you know yoga experience class or deep dive sessions or whatever you know yeah. this could be marketed it's yeah. it's viable business wise we just for some reason because yoga teachers tend to have a uh, uh a hyper lemming type thing mm-hmm. about their personalities we've all <laughs> we've all lined up to call everything a teacher training because we've been told to i i yeah. Yeah, yeah. It has to do some of it has to do with where you're getting a certificate. Ah, yes, yes. You walk away at the end with a certificate that that says you now can teach or you have done this whereas like an intensive or a this or that, you know, you walk away from it with just the experience, right? So in it's this getting something at the end that seems to kind of drive the whole thing maybe the yoga community in general should invest in participation ribbons <laughs> like first place second place <laughs> and and then a participation ribbon oh, oh i see yeah you, know, you showed up you participate yeah you yeah, yeah totally yeah. <laughs> yeah you know that's what i love about the mysore thing is it's like this it's this place where people will go to my store you know it has it doesn't have it's outside of that whole story of a teacher training 200 hour 500 hour mm-hmm. you know and i'm not saying it's perfect or anything it has its own kind of weirdness but yeah but it is outside of that whole thing and i feel like that thing is like it's just it's ballooned out into this just kind of a monster you know it's like it's like pumping out all these teachers and then the whole it's like the 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 job is the supply is and the demand are totally off so you know there's a million teachers and you know no one really respects the teachers anymore because as soon as you know it, there's a million in line waiting to take the job of the person who's like I don't want to do it anymore right and so it's just like it's kind of like dumbed everything down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on that larger level anyways yeah so i find that kind of just it's sad i think the ma- the macro cosmic not the yeah macro. the macro yeah like the industry if you will you know? yeah. yeah well then switch the gear around and uh what is the the best thing that we're currently doing as yoga teachers yoga practitioners as a yoga community yeah terms? that's a good one Well, I mean, I'll bring it back to me and uh, I, you know, the the place I teach from is to 
I really want the students to, to bring it all into their life. So it's not just something they do, it's compartmentalized, that they're bringing this whole thing, like, you know, it's not just asana, it's the whole thing. It's a, it's a way of life. It's a way, and asana is just part of that. And um, yeah, that, that, and I feel like that's happening, you know, more and more. It's, there, there is that, that teaching of, you know, this is more than just, you know, just a physical thing. You know, it's like, it can really, it's a, it's a path for you that you can bring to, you don't have to change anything. You know, you can still be the same person, live the same life. It's just going to hopefully make it better. Mm. You know, you don't have to go and drop everything, go to India. You don't have to, you know, change your religious faith. You don't have to, you know, it's just, you just add this in and it will energize whatever you've got going. You and hopefully bring more consciousness to it. You can be normal and superhuman at the same time. <laughs> Both Clark Kent and Superman. It is possible. <laughs> That's a good way to say it. <laughs> uh, yeah. What do you think? What do you think about that one? What do I think about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you, 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 you nailed it on the head, honestly. I think that you, my, my teacher uh, used to tell me that you have to do the yoga to support the rest of your life, not exactly need your life to support the yoga. Right. And so there must always be this evaluation or this, um, this swadhyaya, you know, this, this self-study, this reflection on, mm -hmm. on why the hell am I actually doing this? Yeah. And, you know, I was having this conversation a couple of weeks ago now with a, a very good friend of mine who is also an Ashtanga practitioner and is going through, you know, a, a rough patch, if you will, as many of us are at the, yeah. at the moment. <laughs> and she was saying that her, her goal right now is just to start doing the practice again because she wants to yeah. doing it because it's it's her choice and it is you know a desire because she knows the benefits she'll get out of it etc etc mm -hmm. and no longer doing the practice because she has to mm -hmm. or she's for some reason told herself she's required to mm -hmm. and that if we could all bend our minds around that mm -hmm. and starting, starting to make this, this idea of yoga practice a very, very voluntary and, you, you know, it's something that I, that I know is good for me, that I know I'm going to get benefit from, even if I don't feel like it today, mm -hmm. you know, even if I don't feel great after I've done my practice today. And there are many days where I, don't feel great when I finished it. <laughs> um, that I know long term, this is a good thing, and yeah. so you know it becomes a very voluntary action and something that I can put more love into, more compassion into, um, more joy into. If I if I get there, you know, <laughs> it's sometimes hard to get joy at four a.m. But you know, <laughs> it it can be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Those are that's such a great place to get to, where it's just I like I want to do this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Last thing, mm -hmm. uh, where are we going to be in ten or twenty or thirty years? We as an Ashtanga community. You may take we as however you wish. <laughs> Where are we going to be? Goodness gracious. I don't know. It's a good question. Hopefully, you know, I mean, I have, I have, I have faith that, um, that the, that we're moving in a direction of, you know, I don't know if you saw that, 
the thing on Netflix, the one about the, the social media. Oh, yes, The Social Dilemma. The Social Dilemma. That really, boy, that really struck me. And it, it seemed to kind of come down to we're in this kind of a race. <laughs> uh, you know, like, can we, are we going to be snowball? Are we going to be enveloped by this AI world that's just, you know, kind of telling us everything? Or are we going to just like be able to limit that world in some way and just become more of a conscious um, species. And I think we're moving in that direction. I just see, you know, I, I see like my niece and nephew, and, you know, and they're young, they're like 10, they're all around like 10 years old, between eight and, and 12. And, and I just see like the way that they, that they, I, I'm like, I was, I don't think I was like that at eight, you know, they're just able to kind of, they're just like, there's a consciousness there. I just feel like it's, it's, I have faith that that is going to just keep expanding and, you know, well, we're going to just value that we're going to value life and, um, you know, being on this planet in a healthy way, you know, but it's, it's like long-term stuff. This is like long-term things, you know, generational. I won't be here to see, you know, what's going on, but I, I do feel like we're moving in that direction, you know, and we're like in a growing pains now where everything's kind of in turmoil, you know, and it's like, well, who are we? How do we want to do this? You know, there's always kind of an upheaval when there's, when there's, you know, change happening, but it's see, that's my feeling, you know, there's all this, been all this crazy. The last four years have been just kind of nutty and it just feels like we're going through this, growing pains it's like puberty <laughs> exactly but everyone's having it at the same time right it's like being in middle right. school again yeah mass <laughs> puberty you know like geez that's gonna there's gonna be some upheaval folks <laughs> <laughs> well on that note <laughs> thank you very much for joining me this afternoon yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, as uh, we usually say in the state of Maine, stay warm. <laughs> stay warm. <laughs> thank you very much, Rick. All right, thank you.